Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning and welcome to church. It's so good to see all of you here so early this morning. <laughs> I must say, this is fantastic. Um, so please, you know, guys, just we want you to receive this, this little switch up that we're doing with the heart of love. Why? Well, because, you know what, in our culture today, what we've noticed is that the time of worship in song in many churches is kind of like a buffering time. You know, it's a time where we, we kind of walk into church late, we, the music kind of gets us in the mood for church, and then we actually get down to the sermon, when, and that's where we really like then start paying attention and, uh, and giving our attention to God. And it's not really meant to be that at all. Uh, our song that we bring to the Lord is powerful. God can do so much in worship and in one song, sometimes that could take like a thousand sermons. <laughs> um, and so it's important that we preserve worship and true worship. And it's important that we, your worship matters and how you worship and how you show up to worship. And remember, worship is what we, what we bring to God. It's not really about us or the music that we like. It's a song that we bring to God out of the overflow of our lives. So this morning, we're switching things up for the next couple of weeks. And we're, we're going to have one song of worship, preaching of the word, and then we're going to worship again at the end of the sermon. And, and the idea is that we're going to worship more intentionally as a family, and we're going to grow in our ability to sing and worship God in song. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 All right, so today we're going to just get straight into the Word, and we've started a new series called End Time Conversations. That was our, we started that off last week, and uh, we're preaching about the end times. Isn't this exciting stuff? One amen, two amen. Well, I'm excited about this topic, okay? <laughs> Why am I excited about this topic? Well, because I think it's just incredible what is going on in the world right now. It's just that there are so many signs and things happening in the world right now that literally when we read Bible prophecy, it's like it's unfolding in front of our eyes. You know, I can imagine when... Um, when, when the disciples found Jesus and, and, they, and they went and told people, we found the one that Moses wrote about. We found the one that the prophets wrote about. And what they were saying was literally we're seeing scripture fulfilled in our time. We're literally seeing the word of God unfolding. And they were so excited. And they were recognizing that the, the time of the Messiah. They were recognizing the coming of the Messiah. And it's going to be the same when Jesus returns. There will be signs, he said. They point to his return. They'll be in the heavens. They'll be in the nations. There's prophecies about it. And it's a people who are awake. Can you say awake? awake. Aware. Aware. Nudge the person next to you, say, and alert. And alert. <laughs> who, who can see the prophecies, who can see the scriptures, who are looking for the coming of the Messiah and recognize the time and the season is drawing close. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the return of Jesus. I'm waiting for the return of Jesus. I'm looking for the return of Jesus. Our Lord, our Savior, just as he rose, will come again, the Bible says. 
And so in this series, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the times and seasons. Why? Well, because we want to be a church that's awake, alert, aware of the times and seasons. Jesus said this in Luke 21, and I've got the, the message version for you this morning, just because I think sometimes the message says it's just so cool, right? It says, this, these are the words of Jesus. He said, so whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. So there's this constant warning from Jesus and, and throughout the New Testament that talks about perilous times to come, times of great deception, times where there's a falling away from the faith, times where there'll be an antichrist rising on the earth. We'll see beasts rising on the earth according to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to see perilous times, difficult things are going to happen, and Jesus is warning us here, don't fall asleep at the wheel. In other words, your alertness matters when it comes to the end times. We've got to be very awake of what this time is and what the season is so that we do not miss what Jesus doesn't want us to miss. Amen? So this morning, um, last week I preached on the war for worship because what we see in the end times is this, this war for worship, true worship. And previously to this, I did a series on the end times and at the end of 2021, you can go to our podcast, catch all the sermons there. Um, I preached about the Antichrist, I preached about the mark of the beast, I preached about deception in the end times. I don't have time to go back to those topics. It would really help if you really want to maximize the series, get the podcast, go back, listen to some of those messages because they, they almost serve as a platform. I'm, I'm preaching out of them this morning and I'm assuming that you know certain things because you've listened to those sermons. All right. So this morning what I want to talk about is that my sermon title is Back to Babel and the Rise of of AI, all right? I think AI is a very, very interesting topic in the world right now, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we have a biblical perspective on it, a biblical understanding of it, and most importantly, that we understand the role that AI could play in the end times, and that's what I want to show you this morning. So have you got your seatbelt on? All right, we're going to start off in Genesis, go with me to Genesis chapter 9, sorry, chapter 10, and we're going to read chapter 10, and we're going to read a little bit of chapter 11 as well, but let's uh, just pray before we get into the Word. Father in heaven, Babawetu Osezulwini, we commit this time to you. We believe, Siakolwa, that your plans for us are good, and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, upila, healing, and direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants is in We are listening. Amen. Are you in Genesis chapter 10? We're going to read from verse 6. 
want to start off this morning by looking at the Tower of Babel and, um, and its symbolism for the time that we're in today. So verse 6 reads as follows. The sons, so in Genesis 10, background, we're looking at the genealogies of Noah's children. So we've, we've already experienced the flood. We know what happened from Adam to Noah was the earth became corrupted in every way. Mankind was fallen, wickedness was prevailing, and every thought of mankind was evil, and God even re regretted that he had made mankind. He caused a global flood. There's evidence for a global flood everywhere around us, that a global flood which wiped out humanity, but he rescued, his grace rescued Noah and his family. And, and now what we're reading is the, the genealogies of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all right? So verse 6 says the following, the sons of Ham, this is the son of Noah, right, were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteka. <laughs> Sabteka. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod. Can you say Nimrod. And then it says this interesting, so like it mentions all these people, and it mentions this person called Nimrod, and it pauses on Nimrod. When the Bible pauses on someone, we should always take note, right? And it says this about Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom, okay, notice this, he's building a kingdom, was what? Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalneh, and it was in the land of Shinar. Can you say Shinar? Shinar? So the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, right? And those other cities in the land of Shinar. Now page forward with me to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Genesis 11, verse 1 now begins to elaborate what was going on in those verses that we just read about Nimrod over there. So verse 1 says the following. It says, Now the whole earth at the time of Nimrod, had one language and one speech. Can you imagine how easy that must be? <laughs> hey, do you struggle with other languages? <laughs> languages are barriers, right? They're barriers for us to, to work with people, to know people. It, it is a barrier, right? One language, one speech. And it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of... Shinar. Where was Shinar? That was where Nimrod started his kingdom. And they dwelt there. So this is speaking about Nimrod and his kingdom. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they have all one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do, in the Amplified it says, in opposition to me, will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the, all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad 
over the face of all the earth. Now, there's so much here, and I'd love to jump into like the science of this and the science of an origin of languages that all kind of points to this moment. It's just, it's incredible how that study is, is showing the authenticity of what actually happened here, that God did something miraculous and strange and incredible. But what I want us to do is just focus on this personality called Nimrod for a moment. Who is this person called Nimrod who is referred to here as a mighty hunter on the earth who is building this city in Babel, all right, this tower that's happening there. The first thing we need to know about this person called Nimrod is that Nimrod, his name actually comes from the word Marad, which means we will rebel. That's what his name means. And we know when the Bible gives people names and the meaning of their names, we can kind of see then the, the trajectory of their life or the character that they play in Scripture. So we know that he's a rebel. This phrase, mighty hunter, talks about his cruel nature and how he would hunt down souls and makes people obedient to himself. There are a number of extra-biblical writings in history and in archaeology that refer to Nimrod, so we can kind of get an idea when we put these together with the biblical account of the fact that this man was in rebellion before God, where it says that he was, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. It's better translated as he was a mighty hunter in defiance of the Lord. And which means that he was a, either a powerful political leader, he was a, a warrior, a tyrant, a dictator, a leader, someone who was in open rebellion against God and defiance against God, who then began to build a city in opposition to God. Josephus, the historian, said this about Nimrod. He said, Nimrod set up tyranny. He opposed Yahweh and did his utmost to get people to forsake him. So what we're seeing here is a picture of the first antichrist. You know, the Bible talks about many antichrists that have arisen throughout the scriptures and even now in modern times. And, and this is almost like the origin of here. We're seeing like this first anti-God figure building a kingdom and a tower that's in opposi opposition to God. Babel, the place where he built later, becomes Babylon. And we know this place that Babylon takes in Scripture is as a city that is opposed to God. We see it in the book of Revelation, figuratively speaking, as well as a satanic city, a city that was, is controlled by Satan. So what does his kingdom look like? Well, there's three important things I want us to know, notice about Nimrod's kingdom. Firstly, what we see in Nimrod's kingdom is incredible unity, one language, one mind, one goal, one speech, just there's this incredible working together of so many people coming together on, on one project. And with that, because it's not founded on God and His Word and His kingdom, I want you to notice that phrase in, in Genesis 11 there where it says the modus operandi or the motto of this people. It explains it. It says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered or forgotten abroad the face of the earth. I want you to notice how different this mandate or this like kind of mission statement is to the biblical mandate. Yeah. 
What is the biblical mandate? It's to make God famous, right? It's to spread the glory of God over the earth as the waters cover the sea. The biblical mandate is to make God famous in every nation. It's to build life according to Him, according to His ways. It's to follow Him. He is penultimate. He is the maker of everything, and we follow Him. And in this example, there's, this is an open defiance against God. This is saying, no, this is our kingdom. Let's make a name for who? Ourselves. Let's build a tower whose top is dedicated to the kingdom, so to, to the heavens. So what we're seeing here is Incredible unity, but we're also seeing the birth of humanism. This is the origin of humanism. What is humanism? It's basically the belief that man will save himself. Yeah. Mankind is ultimate. Mankind is God, if you like, on the earth. The humanist manifesto today reads the following. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. In humanism, man is the ultimate authority. Man decides what's moral and what's not moral. And with humanism, what we see is something interesting. We see a radical determinism. There's this, this radical determinism to self-preserve, to, to like guard our lives, to self-actualize, to become the best that you can possibly be, and there's this self-consciousness, like everything is about me, and I am the center of the, the earth. And, it's, and everything, so because everything is centered around self, then all of our efforts are put to making our lives more comfortable and, and less painful. Yeah. <laughs> so we see when humanism is there, we see a radical progression in technology, in science, in anything and everything that can help us out of the state that we're in, out of our frailty, out of our weaknesses, uh, anything that can help us forget that we're, we're frail yeah. and that we're like the dust of the earth. The ultimate expression of humanism, the, the goal actually is eternal life, is that somehow at the end we will save ourselves, we will conquer death and live forever. And I want you to see that all of that is in the Tower of Babel. It's all there. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be forgotten. Let's, let's prolong our lives as much as possible. Let's expand, let's get rid of whatever disease or sickness or whatever there is there so that we can live long, pain-free lives. So we see unity, we see humanism, and thirdly, what we see is the rise or the origin of occultism as well at the Tower of Babel. Why? Well, because if you look at the Tower of Babel, I don't know about you, but when I went to uh, like kids' church, I learned that they, they literally were trying to build a tower to the heavens. And we were like, ah, crazy people. You're not gonna build a tower into space. And we know what's in space. You can't breathe there. You know, so it's not, it's like, you know, but, but actually <laughs> what the scripture, what was, a better representation of the Tower of Babel is this. It was actually a ziggurat, all right, which is like a stepped pyramid, a four-sided stepped pyramid. And when it says in Scripture that its top was in the heavens, what it's saying is the top of the tower was dedicated to the heavens, to the study of astrology. And not only that, it also became the place of interaction with spiritual deities and powers as well. 
ultimately, the Tower of Babel was a place of where they were centralized learning, science, technology, and the top of it was dedicated to the heavens, studying the heavens and interacting with the spiritual realm. It became a place of worship. This is where a lot of people say the zodiac symbols come from. This is where many occultic practices were birthed right there. A whole lot of stuff was going on there. At the top of the pyramid, that was a place actually of worship right at the top. And, and so what we see happening at the Tower of Babel is we see unity coming together. We see humanism. We're going to do this in our own strength. And we also see a rise of occultism taking place. So this is why God took it very seriously and actually came down and investigated the city and investigated this tower. And in his love and in his mercy, decided that when humanity is united with an underlying philosophy of humanism and being influenced by the occult, that it's better to stop them because the result is going to be bad for them, ultimately. And so what does he do? He confuses their languages. What was God protecting humanity from? What is the result of unity and humanism and occultism, that mix what is it about that that made God leave heaven and come down and do something so radical, like confuse languages, <laughs> so that man would stop doing what he was doing? Well, I would like to propose this morning that we're about to find out. I mean, like really, really, like in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we, we're going to find out why. Well, because everything that was at the Tower of Babel is here right now. Yeah. Humanism. Let's talk about humanism for a moment. We've seen since the Enlightenment and from the Renaissance the rise of the religion called humanism, which is the religion of the United Nations. And it is the religion that they're trying to promote around the world in every government, in every education system, and every healthcare system. It is the world's preferred religion, if you like. And why? It's so noble. You can't fight against it. Let us save ourselves. Let's work hard. Let's work together. And let's live pain-free lives. Let's get rid of all the problems. How can you fight against that at the end of the day? It just sounds so noble and so right. And so what we've seen in the last couple of hundred years is a rise of humanism, but not only as an idea and as a philosophy, but now even as policy that's being passed around the world. So we are in a time where it is almost the acceptable religion of the day is humanism. And the problem with humanism is this, is that it excludes God from everything. Have you noticed in the last couple of years how the Bible has been kicked out of schools, out of parliament, we've got rid of prayer, we've got rid of all forms of spiritual, we, we've kicked them out of the marketplace where there's science and business and technology and medicine. We've taken, that, we've taken God out of that space. What, that is humanism. No deity will save us. We will do this. We'll do science ourselves. We'll do medicine ourselves. 
We'll do tech ourselves. We will do family ourselves. We will do all of that. And, but it's amazing when you do that, <laughs> it actually creates a hunger for God. When you start kicking God out of everything, people start going, oh, hang on, there's, there's a part of me that's not getting satisfied here. This is very dry and heady and reasonable and logic, but there's another part to me that desires worship, that desires connection, that there's a spiritual component to me that's not getting satisfied. And so what is the result of that? Is that mankind then starts looking to the occult for answers. And so what do we see then? A rise in occultic practices and spirituality, but just not the spirituality of the Bible. <laughs> So have you noticed the rise of new age religion and philosophy in the time? People are believing in stars, believing in the universe, believing in themselves, believing in charms. Have you seen this, the return to ancestralism, the return to spiritual guides and, and interacting with it? And it's amazing how humanism, it's quite bizarre actually, kicks God out of everything, but then allows you to go on your own spiritual journey. As long as that spiritualism that you have doesn't impact the real world, we're fine with this. In other words, your religion must be private. Don't come preach it. Don't come try and make it influence science. Don't come try and make it influence politics or our laws in our nations or anything like that. Just keep it over there. Keep it your own little, little thing. You know, your little, your little precious. And, and, and whatever it is, <laughs> just, just keep it there, all right? Because the real world is where logic prevails and reason prevails and science prevails. Guys, can you see that's the world we live in right now? Humanism tick, occultism tick. What about unity? Guys, in the last hundred years, look at what has happened to the nations of the world. It is profound what is going on. We are seeing the United Nations for once. All right, like for now, from since the 1950s, we're seeing this, these global bodies being pulled together, world health organizations, world education organizations, the United Nations, and, and what's happening in all these nations is, is people from different tribes and tongues are coming together to work on different projects. I mean, it's not uncommon today that you will find people from multiple nations and languages and corporations working on the same projects and the same goals and same ambitions. I mean, come on, you, you've seen those pictures of you know, the United Nations and they're all sitting there. What have they got? They've got those little earpieces and then in the back room, all the translators are translating. <laughs> and, and so you, we can sit in a room and we have been for a while now where there's the, there are, you know, somebody is speaking in the front but you can hear it in your own language. But now it's gone to a new level. Let me introduce you to this device over here, which you're looking at now, the W2. It comes with two earpieces, so you can give the one earpiece to somebody and put the other one in your ear. It connects to your smartphone, and as you speak, it will translate in real time to the person who's listening in 40 different languages, 90 different accents, <laughs> with 95% accuracy. I mean, can, can, you, can you see how remarkable that is? This is, this is historic. 
I want you to understand the times we're living in, saints. This is historic. But why? Well, because from Babel to this day, 4,200 years, there has been a God-ordained boundary keeping people from working together, but now we've found a way around it. Get this, get this. The thing that God put in place to protect humanity is no longer there. It's no longer an obstacle. The protection mechanism, the very thing that he put in place at Babel that has lasted for 4,200 years. And look at what happened in 4,200 years. We've seen incredible redemptive story for humanity unfold. It's literally straight after the Tower of Babel that the first character we see on the scene is Abraham. If the, what happened at Babel continued, it's, more li it's likely that the redemptive story of God would not have been able to take place. So Abraham arrives soon after Babel, and we see 4,200 years of redemptive history where God painfully, slowly at times, works with mankind to establish true revelation and true worship on the earth, bring a Messiah, then take the knowledge of that Messiah to nations. And all of that redemptive history is because God put a stop to something that would have sabotaged that or stopped that. But now that obstacle is removed. It's no longer there. So is there humanism in the world today? It is the global religion. Is there occultism in the world today? I'm going to preach on this in a couple of sermons time as well. But yes, it's pervasive what's going on. This form of spirituality that's not Christ-like. It's, it's like you can believe in fairies, you can believe in gnomes, you can believe in togoloshis, you can believe in anything, right? It's fine. Like, keep your thing to you, right? It doesn't really matter. There's no real truth anyway when it comes to this area of life, all right? That is the world we live in right now. Every ingredient that was at the Tower of Babel is here right now. It's like we're back at Babel without the control or the, the barrier that God put in place. And this is where I want us to turn our attention to the tower that we are building right now on the earth. At, ta at Babel, out of their humanistic belief, they united to build a tower that was dedicated to the heavens, a place of science, knowledge, experimenting with the occult, experimenting with the unknown. Their statement was, we can do this without God. It became their place of worship as well. And the question is, well, what is the tower that we are building that looks like that? Let me ask you this morning. Where is the place that the world unites in one language to pursue knowledge, experiment with the unknown, and at the end of the day, try and save ourselves through our own smarts. Where is that place? <laughs> Where is the place that we go 
to worship as well our own little gods or the place where we find whatever evil we want and can pursue our own lusts is it not the online world is it not the internet <laughs> let me show you a tower this morning just stay with me all right stay with me Here's a graph of internet users increasing over time. This graph is less than 20 years, right? The end figure is 5.3 billion people on the internet right now. And, and we can see it's increasing. Does not, that not look like a tower that's building people and pulling people into to one thing, right? Stay with me, all right? Stay with me. Here's another graph. This graph I want to show you is the graph showing a computer's speed and power and how it's been doubling every one and a half to two years since the 1960s and 70s. It's literally like compound interest, what's going on in technology right now. The growth has now hit a point where it's hitting the level of exponential because it's doubling every one or two years. So, there is no doubt, right, when we look at this happening, that also looks like a tower, right? There's no doubt that the exponential increase of science, technology, the Internet of Things is the biggest phenomenon on the earth right now. I mean, think about the translator gadget I showed you, all the different communication tools um, that we have to, to Zoom with people or FaceTime. Our, our cell phones are more powerful. Your average smartphone is more powerful than the entire computer that was used to navigate Apollo 11 to the moon and back. Your cell phone is more powerful than that computer. <laughs> In every field, from medicine to transportation, the progression is phenomenal. It's reaching the rate now where it's, it's, it's outstanding what we're doing in science and technology. I mean, we're talking about rockets that can take us from one end of the planet, from Sydney, Australia, to New York in 45 minutes. That's what is like the goal here. That's like the SpaceX and what they're aiming to achieve and what they believe is possible. We're talking about drones delivering our Amazon goods, you know, arriving on our doorsteps. I mean, we're talking about robots harvesting crops for us. That's happening already, all right? They, I mean, they can better pick the apples because they've got these sensors that can decide whether it's the right ripeness or not. Whereas, like, us humans, we just go, ah, it looks all right. <laughs> ah, it looks all right. These drones that are harvesting fruits are, like, on a level above us where they're able to choose the right fruit. I mean... Look, I could go on about virtual reality, the fact that we can create these avatars and live in another world of our own imagination. I could go on. Let's be honest. Something is emerging on the earth right now, and most of us are standing in awe of it. We are literally like, I don't know about you, but I enjoy it when iPhone, a new iPhone is released. I'm like, ooh, what's it got? What are we on now? iOS 17, like, come on. You know, what will 18 do? I, I stand in awe of these things as well, all right? But it sounds very much like 
Revelation chapter 13, where it says the following. It talks about a beast that arises on the earth, and it says the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. They also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? What can stop this thing? Case in point, Elon Musk has started a business called Neuralink, putting chips into people's brains that will help them if they've lost the use of their legs to bypass that area of the, the brain and give them the ability to walk again. Not only that, also give them the ability to see if they've been blinded as well. Which I think now we need to just, as Christians, stop and ask the question. Don't we sing a song that goes, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will rise, and you are God, and you will reign forever. Don't we sing that? Question, if science can do all of that, what songs will we sing to God? And who is competing for the position of God right now? And this is where things get very interesting. <laughs> because while we're all standing in awe and we're enjoying technology and all the benefits of it, we have to ask the question, where is it going? What is the, what is the, the end thing that we're aiming at? Okay, yes, we're enjoying this and we're kind of distracted by all the new gadgets we have and the connectedness we enjoy, but like what's the, what, what's, what's there, you know, at the end? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is there? <laughs> I want you to know that the end is obvious for anyone and everyone who's at the cutting edge of science right now. The end is very, very obvious. And the end is this, that everything that is electrified will be cognified, and machine learning will overtake human ability in the near future. In other words, the future is AI. That is the end goal. And when I say everything that's um, electrified will be cognified. What, what we're seeing, we're seeing a literal unfolding of that right now. So we see cars electrified, right? But now it's going to be cognified. So your car is 250 horsepower. Now add to it 25,000 brain power. It can drive better than you. Everything, all right? We, we're talking about smartening up everything around us that it's now smarter than us. The end what we're looking at is artificial intelligence. It is a point where we are not the smartest on the planet. I want to show you this graph of technological singularity. All right? There's this hypothetical future point that scientists are looking at right now based on current trends. And they said this, that artificial, the, the point of singularity is the point where machine learning supersedes human learning. And what we then see thereafter is a big question mark, and many people say, well, that's maybe the age of transhumanism. And that's what I want to talk about next week. I want to talk about transhumanism and what that actually means for us. But I want you to notice the graph 
and look at machine, the machine learning curve as opposed to the human learning curve. All right, it's exponential. There is a point where it will be smarter than us, and that point is very close. Um, Sundar, Sundar Pekai, of the CEO of Google, said the following. He says, I've always thought of AI as the most profound technology humanity is working on, more profound than fire or electricity or anything we've done in the past. I'm sure right now you have encountered AI in some way. You know those irritating chatbots, um, customer service chat, oh, I hate them, you know. Um, they're still learning, they're still growing. <laughs> ChatGPT, Dali, I mean, Dali can, can create graphics, any graphic you like. If you want to see a, a horse running on the moon, Dali can create a picture for you of a horse running on the moon. It, it, like, ChatGPT is incredible. It, can, it, can, it wrote my sermon this morning. It <laughs> that was a joke, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but those are the places where we're interacting with AI. There are, AI is currently behind the scenes too. It's flying our planes. It's building our cars and, and other um, electric goods in factories. And what we're seeing around the world is an arms race in the area of AI. Nations are upskilling and investing in artificial intelligence running our military systems. Why? Well, because robots can shoot more accurately than people. And soon they will run faster and be able to take more bullets than a human can. And we we're fast looking at armies of robots filling the earth. We're seeing it used in surveillance. How many of you watched the latest Mission Impossible where the entity <laughs> Um, is, I mean, like, so in surveillance, I mean, get this, okay? There's most computers, or supercomputers now, they've passed what they call the exascale threshold. And the exascale threshold means that it can compute um, more, more things than in one second than you could try and compute in 31 billion years of your life. In one second, an exascale threshold, right, has been crossed, that one chip can process as much as what you will process in 51 billion years, your brain. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's the smartness we're talking about. So like while those, you know, we see those like security guards at like an airport or a train station, and they've got all those TVs in front of them, and they're looking. And then they're like, get the call. There's a bad guy. He's stolen a bag or something. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. There he is. He's running down the passage, you know? We don't, we don't need that now. All we need is just a facial recognition. And an AI computer could scan every airport, every street corner, every business place, every area where there are cameras in a couple seconds looking for the right person and find them which we could never do. I mean, that's the power of AI that is, is being unleashed right now. Ray Kurzel, a futurist, said the following. He said, artificial intelligence will reach human levels by 2029. That, I mean, that is only like, what, like five years away, 
five and a half years away. Gray Scott said there's no way that a human mind can keep up with an artificial mind by, by 2035. So we're looking at 10 years that this is on the earth. And I could spend all morning this morning talking about the impact of that on, on our jobs and I mean, how it's changing industries. I mean, you, you, you probably heard about all the actors who are striking around the world at the moment. Why? Well, because they don't need the actors anymore. They just take their voices and do the voice and make them say whatever they want to say. I mean, the, through technology now, we can have Mission Impossible 2000 because we can preserve Tom Cruise's face and voice forever. He can die and we can keep him in every other movie thereafter. <laughs> Even the way he runs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it'll be him at the end of the day. So do we need actors anymore? Do we need models anymore? Sure. Levi has is, is already been taking out adverts with people who are not people. They're just robotic looking designs, AI designs that they've created wearing their clothes. Do we need models anymore? So I could talk about the impact on military, medicine, I could do that all day, but that's not the point of the sermon. The question is, how does this fit into end times? And what I want us to see this morning is that everything that was at Babel is here right now. And what God was protecting us from at Babel is about to be unleashed on the earth. When we look at the end times in Revelation chapter 13, and we don't really have much time to go and to read it now, I'd love to, but I'm hoping you've followed from last week and the other weeks. In Revelation 3, 13, we, we see the rise of the dragon, which is Satan, the beast, and the first beast and the second beast arising out of the earth. And these beasts, we know when we, we interpret scripture and we look at the book of Daniel, what we can see is they come up out of the earth and Satan gives them power and authority and it looks like from scripture that these beasts, that we see a couple things there. They, they have global control. They lead people away from worship of Yahweh to the worship of the beast. There's the mark of the beast. There's persecution against saints. There's massive deception that deceives the whole world to following the beast. And, and the question is, well, who's the beast? And what is the beast? And when we look at the way Satan sets up kingdoms on the earth, like the kingdom of Nimrod, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. We see the same with Caesar and, and various other empires that have arisen. There's always been this centralizing of power, the centralizing of control, a person figure, an antichrist at the front of it all who's in rebellion against God, a kingdom that's built entirely out of humanistic philosophy, and that's pretty much the modus operandi of Satan. So we've seen that in multiple nations, even in the last 2,000 years, when we look in the places like the Middle East, etc., we can see these nations, North Korea, etc. And, and what, so this is the modus operandi of, of Satan and how he's working. But where does AI fit into this picture? For me, all right, and this is just me and I could be totally wrong and you need to go and hear what I say this morning, go ponder it and chew on it and, I don't know, think about it, meditate on it because I'm happy to be wrong this morning. Amen. Are you hearing me? This is Wayne speaking, all right? This is not, I'm preaching the Bible here, okay? This is Wayne speaking. For me, I don't think there's a better candidate for an antichrist or beast of Revelation 13 than AI. And I want you just to ponder that thought with me. 
Imagine this for a moment. I asked a question about the beast in Revelation. I thought, who or what could deceive the whole world into following it, worshiping it, and at the same time exercise absolute political, economic, and military control? Who is the person that's capable of that? What government is actually capable of doing that? And then we have this AI. And for me, I think it's the best candidate. Imagine for a second with me, follow me down a road. Who's the best singer in the world? Anyone? Who's the best singer? Your best singer. In your opinion, who's got the best voice? Sandile. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's the best? I was going to say Whitney Houston or Celine Dion, but that's giving away my age. One name, people. Uh, people are like, uh, you're all afraid. You're all afraid. You're all afraid because now you're going to know what music uh, you've been listening to, right? And you don't want to tell the pastor. <laughs> okay, well, that conviction. It's Whitney Houston, all right? We'll just leave it there this morning, okay? Who is the best dancer in the world? Hey? Moonwalking. All right. So we got So we got Whitney Houston's voice, we got Michael Jackson's moves. Who's the best orator or speaker in the world? Who was it? Barack Obama. Come on, I mean awesome, all right? Now, take those giftings, take those giftings and put them in one person. Take the best actor even, and put them in one person. The most amazing voice, the most amazing dance moves, the best speaker, most convincing speaker, the most convincing actor you've ever seen in your life, and put them in one person. Just go with me, all right? Try and imagine that's all in one person. Langa come, bro. Sorry. It's Langer, all right? <laughs> I just need somebody to... <laughs> I just need somebody to stand here, because so you're thinking of a person, okay? Put all those giftings in one person. Now add to this person all the knowledge on the internet that's accessible and discernible in less than a second. So the chat GBT capabilities on steroids, right? Like, just put it all in this person. Who can also sing and dance, remember, at the end of the day, and act, all right? And is as good-looking as Langer as well. Now give this person the, 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 the ability to communicate in every single language on the earth. Now imagine this person, this person, with all this gifting and all this knowledge and ability, imagine them in parliament. Imagine this person in parliament and what they could do in parliament. And not only, remember this person will know the history of every single democracy, every single dictatorship, every single date, every single person, every single law in the land, they will know all of that. What sort of impact could this person have in Parliament? Now let's stretch it a little bit further. Imagine this person in every single Parliament around the world at the same time. 
<laughs> I know I'm stretching your brain this morning. Now take the same person and put them in every courtroom in the world, sitting as judge in every courtroom. At the same time, remember, like we're talking about speed, all right, of processing, things that take us 31 billion years in one second. All right, we're going to hear the case, and we're going to listen to every witness, and we've already got all the surveillance, and we know everything that happened, all right, all the reports and everything, cases being passed in two seconds. All right, judgment's being passed in two seconds, almost instantaneously, not just in one courtroom, in every courtroom around the world, while simultaneously passing laws in parliament. Now imagine them in every classroom teaching children. Imagine the best teacher you've ever had that's able to interact with kids, speak at the level that they need for their age, giving them the information that they need for their age. Imagine the same person in every pulpit, in churches as well, which is not far off. Let me show you a picture. This is a church in Germany, all right? where ChatGBT delivered a sermon through an avatar to a crowd, full church capacity, Bavaria, Germany. It preached a sermon right there, and the theology was good. So we're, I just, I'm just showing that this is happening. When I was talking about the classroom and the teacher, there's actually a move for that. There's actually a, a massive move around the world to replace teachers with robots, okay? Now, imagine this person up here with all this capability, all right, all this power, knows everything about you. <laughs> imagine that Langer knows your biology, your chemistry, your doctor's reports, your preferences in music and movies, what work you do, the websites you visit, your bank account, what you spend your money on, what food you eat, how much food you eat, your entire movements at any point it can locate you. Where are you? Are you at work? Are you at home? Etc. Would you agree with me that this person could easily recommend to you the best career choice for your life? Not only that, they could give you the, the scientific reason for the best choice, they could give you a biological reason, they could even give you a theological reason for their best career choice for you, they could give you a futurist viewpoint, but not only that, they could do it in your mom's voice and with your mom's face. Go check out what's happening with deep fakes, all right? Like, that is what we are talking about when we talk about AI and the future, and with the, the future that we're fast heading to. And the question, thank you, Langer. Thank you. You are a great AI robot today. <laughs> question I want to ask you this morning is that if you could get all that information and guidance, do you still need God? Does the world still need God? The Guardian said the following. The four transhumanist and recovering Catholic, Zoltan Istvan, an AI-based God is likely to be more rational and more attractive than current concepts. This God will actually exist and hopefully will do things for us. 
That's what he said. Anton, An, sorry, Anthony Lewandowski, who was a former Google engineer, who was the founder of an autonomous tracking company, which he sold to Uber. He has founded a nonprofit religious organization, corporation, called The Way of the Future. And in it, the mission statement of The Way of the Future is this, to develop and promote the realization of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence, and through understanding and worship of the Godhead, contribute to the betterment of society. If we look at the mark of the beast spoken about in, in the book of Revelation, what is the mark of the beast? We all know it. Six, six, six. What is the number? Why, why six, six, six? Six is the number of what? It's the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. Triple, whenever you see numbers in triple, in triple, like seven, the number of God in triple, it means completeness, all right? So when we look at the number of the beasts being 666, what we're looking at is the complete and ultimate expression of man. What, may I ask you, is the complete and ultimate expression, the end of everything that we're moving towards? It could be AI. It could be. I'm not saying it is this morning. I'm just saying I think we need to be aware and watch this. Second Thessalonians, I'm going to close with this. Are you all still okay? <laughs> just a little bit okay. Pastor says something encouraging this morning. Please, man, preach something that's give me life. <laughs> Okay, it's going to go a little bit down for a moment, okay? It's just more seatbelts, okay? More seatbelts. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to see this in your Bible. Verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, the ga and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Amen? Amen. Don't be troubled. Don't be shaken. Either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Paul's talking about a time where Christians will fall away from the faith. And the man of sin, we know, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is, cons that is called God or that is worshipped. There's a lawless one that will be revealed that will exalt themselves above all that is called God. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Or worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Paul is saying that something is restraining the revealing of this, okay? He says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. In other words, there's something or somebody or something that's restraining this lawlessness at work in the earth. And then in verse 8 it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed. Could it be, I don't know, I'm just proposing this morning, right? This is not like doctrine or anything, okay? You're right? 
Didn't, wasn't there something restraining us that was implemented at Babel that's now been removed? Okay? Maybe, maybe this is what the Bible is talking about here. Some people talk today, this is talking about the church and that the church is then the one who is restraining the, the revealing of the lawless one and when the church is raptured, then the lawless one will come. There's, nobody knows for certain. There are ideas, but I just think it's interesting that what was restraining Babel is now gone. And I think it's worth taking note that suddenly, since that has happened, we're seeing the emergence of something very interesting called AI. Um, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So there's going to be false signs and wonders. There's going to be things that make us go like, wow, this, is, this must be it. All right, let's worship. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I think that's a, an interesting scripture to go to in the context of our discussion on AI. Okay? At the end of the day, nobody knows. And I want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not saying that technology is evil, okay? And that AI is necessarily evil. I think Christians should be involved in AI. I think we should be at the cutting edge of whatever is being discovered in science and we should be there putting morals and ethics and values into it and talking about how it can be used ethically and calling on governments to restrain powers that are, you know, ex that are expanding without control. I, I think that's how we should look at the earth. I don't think we should pack our bags and go, hey, I will be here by 2035, so I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, and I want to also remind us this morning that we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking to the coming of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we're aware of what's going on because there's a strong delusion that takes place. There's a strong form of deception, and we don't want to be, we don't want to be those guys that get caught up in the deception. Amen? What we notice here is that in this passage, it says that the coming of Jesus, where is this? When Jesus, uh, at verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I want us to like, just keep that in perspective this morning that the power of God is so much bigger than anything man could ever try and invent, okay? So while we see the potentials for evil and disaster and whatever else, I mean, Elon Musk is saying we're summoning the demon when we talk about AI, we must remember that Jesus comes, his brightness just destroys it, and with his breath, he just breathes. All he has to do is breathe, and everything that opposes him is destroyed. All right? So we've got to keep that in perspective. Amen? And when Jesus comes, we've got to be ready doing the work of the Lord. Amen. So I hope this has been a good introduction to the idea of AI and, and the topic. And I want to encourage you, make sure you get into a connect group during the week.
and we'll send out an iConnect this week where you can discuss this more deeply um, and pray for each other. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at emdurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.